So if you haven't taken your notes out, go ahead and take those out. We're going to continue in a series we started last week. The series that we started last week was on the Lord's Prayer, which we talked about how the Lord's Prayer is something that many of us grew up with. You may have memorized the Lord's Prayer. You've probably at least heard it at a funeral service or somewhere where you've gone, you've heard this prayer. But a lot of times we hear the prayer, but we don't stop to really consider what was the Lord trying to teach us? What does the prayer really mean? And how does it affect really the prayer life of each and every one of us? Not just that we pray it when we need something from God, but that we actually understand how it shapes our regular prayer life. So last week we looked at this idea of, you know, that God is um, showing us a model prayer. That's really not the Lord's prayer. While he taught it to us, it's a model prayer. And he wanted to show us a way of praying, but not exactly what to pray. So we looked at that, we looked at the holiness of God's name and how to actually come at God with a way, in a way that says, I want to actually address you as in a way that's worshipful, not beginning with my petitions, not beginning with my stuff, not beginning with what I need, but beginning by worshiping you. That's how we started last week. We want to move forward in that. I'm going to show you the scripture we've been using again. So let's look at this idea. We're going to call this message, the king of the hill. Who's the king of your hill? So let's look at that. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. Somebody said, what's a pagan? I said, it's not the motorcycle gang, remember? This is people that are just outside of the spiritual realm of God, okay? For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray, not what you should pray. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, which means holy is your name. And then this week we're going to look at Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here's some questions to think about. Why did Jesus actually pray that God's kingdom to come? That's an interesting question in and of itself. Follow that up. Is there a difference between the way that God operates in heaven and the way that God operates on earth? Is that why Jesus had to pray your kingdom come? Is, there, is God limited in any way on earth? Is God contingent upon our prayer life? These are some questions that come immediately out of this, just to, to, to begin to give you food for thought. What does our or my or the church's prayer life, how does all that play into God's kingdom coming from heaven to earth? It's okay. You need to just jump over them. That's what we do. You just jump over and walk down and jump in. It's okay. We had an older member that used to do that. It's all right. So these are some questions to think about. Now, when I was thinking about this, I actually started researching just people. You ever do that? Just what do people think, right? And so one of the things I found that was interesting, in 2012, there was a study done of younger millennial age people. And there was beginning to have, have a shift in what mattered in life. And one of the things that they learned in this study was that money wasn't as important to millennials. Interesting, right? Um, social status was not as important to the millennial generation. Um, the American dream had less value for a millennial, but what they did learn was the highest priority that a millennial had was fame, fame. In other words, just check Facebook out and you'll understand, okay? So fame and reality TV shows have, have shaped this. Now, why do I bring this up? Because in some ways that thinking has shaped the kingdom for millennials. Now, I'm not just going to pick on millennials. Let's keep going. So for people my age, it was actually working through and becoming self-sustaining, having a great job, knowing that you're doing what you're supposed to do, you know, um, getting the right education. I was a Gen Xer. Every time I say that, I feel like a Pepsi commercial. But anyway, that's, that was my, my, my range. And for other people, you can go to in every generation and you can break it down. And what you'll find is you'll find there's one major overarching thing that kind of drives it. 
motivates it, pushes it. And when you find that, what you're going to learn is, in many ways, that's the kingdom in place in that generation. Now, why is that important? Because I think what happens is, as you get older, especially, you start to look back on the kingdom. And you start asking the question, did what I do matter? I'm in my mid-40s, so I'm in that whole, you know, midlife thing. Anybody else there? Okay, you're there. Okay. So in that whole midlife thing, you start to really think about this. And as you start to look back in your midlife, you look back and you go, okay, did the way that I lived and what I did matter and did it make an impact and how many people really lives were impacted and affected? And, and it only gets worse. So what happened with me is I started sitting down with one of my mentors who just retired. And this retiree sits down with me and he had a huge impact on my life. And we're talking about this principle. And he said, you know, I'm here at the end of my ministry. I'm starting retirement, you know, and I'm asking the question, did what I do really matter? Were lives really, really changed? Was the kingdom of God really impacted? This is, a, I think, a key question to how we're going to approach this and how it shapes our prayer life. You want to know that your life has mattered. Here's the tension. I guarantee the reason that you feel this tension is you've made the same error that I've made at different points in my life. I've traded in God's idea of the kingdom for my own idea or someone else's idea that's been handed to me. Let's look at this. So let's just look at kingdoms as we start this message. Kingdoms. We're all part of a kingdom. That's the first thing I want you to understand. We're all part of a kingdom. Doesn't matter if it's a Christian kingdom, a Muslim kingdom, an American kingdom, a millennial kingdom. Doesn't matter. We're all part in some ways of a kingdom. In many ways, we're made up of many different kingdoms. In fact, when you think about this, you understand that the kingdom that you're part of begins to shape your thinking. That's the king that's on your hill. Did anybody ever play that? Does anybody still play this game, King of the Hill? Am I the only one that grew up playing King of the Hill? Really? I mean, this was a cool game. Do you guys know what King of the Hill is? Okay, I got to tell you what King of the Hill is. People are going, no, I don't know. Okay, King of the Hill is where you find one hill anywhere in, in your neighborhood. And one kid gets on top of the hill, and they are the king. And then everyone else has to knock the king off the hill. And whoever can stay there the longest wins. Okay? It's a simple game. And boy, people get hurt. There's blood and hopefully no firearms that are involved. Okay? That's the way King of the Hill is played. And what I want you to see is that's a picture of the way you and I think about life. I think that as a kid is a picture that comes into the way that we think about life. For me, I grew up in an extremely poor family. I don't know if anyone else grew up that way. Very poor family. We didn't have a lot of things. And so when I went into the Navy and came out of the Navy and got a job in engineering, I thought, man, this is it. This is what life is about. I'm finally making decent money. I have a decent home. You know, life is very good. And anything I had to do was connected to the success of being in this engineering field. I would bring work home with me. I would work sometimes 60, 70 hour weeks. We'll talk about that in a second. But everything was connected to that. And it began to shape my thinking. It shaped my actions. It shaped my reality. And it shaped my prayer life. All because that was the king of my hill. The second thing you'll see in this idea of kingdoms is all kingdoms share a king and a mission. It's not just the king. They've got a king and they've got a mission. And each mission sometimes is known, but sometimes it's elusive. And here's the thing I want you to understand. There's an illusion of this kingship, this illusion that the person that you think is the king is the king. So for me, I'll give you a personal example. So my dad left when I was very young. Some of you know that. But what it did was it put a pressure on me to perform. Anybody ever been through that? So I had to make sure that I won the favor of the people around me. I had to be the best in the room, the most successful, work the hardest, be the last one to leave. Where'd that come from? 
came from this idea that I was allowing my dad, who wasn't even in my life anymore, left when I was 14, still to be king. How was I allowing him still to be king? Because I was allowing what he did to continue to impact my thinking, my life, and the way that I was living. I was trying to derive value from other people saying that guy's got, got, got what it needs to actually do this. And when I did that, it began to affect every area of my life. In fact, it, it affected the way I would even talk to my own son. Things sometimes are never good enough. Why would I ever be like that? Because of what happened back here, because of this king that was still sitting on my hill. So then it shapes your prayer life. What do you think my prayer life looked like back in that season? My prayer life looked a lot like this. Dear God, I need favor with the boss. You ever prayed that one? Because to get to where I need, he needs to notice what I'm doing. He needs to see how hard I'm working. He needs to see that I'm the last one to leave. I'm the first one here. You need to give me favor in this area so I can move forward in my career. My prayer life looked like that. Here's the funny thing about that prayer life, though, when I was thinking about the king and the mission and the mission of moving forward in engineering. All of a sudden, God stopped giving me favor. You ever notice that sometimes God gives you what you don't ask for? In fact, what he actually started to do is, um, anybody ever seen, what's that movie um, where the guy lives in the cubicle? Office. What is it? I know one of y'all know that movie. Office space. So office space. I lived office space. I was across from the president's office at one point, and then I was over by the smoke pit the next point. Okay, that was my life, okay? And I'm like, God, what are you doing? I've been praying for favor, you know, with the president of the company. Why am I out here on the floor next to the smoke pit, which I don't like smoke, okay? Reality. You know what God was doing? God was showing me that there were pieces of my life where I was allowing the wrong things to be king. And he was beginning to rub up against my own prayer life to show me that he was going to do something different, something new. The third thing is all kingdoms desire expansion. You need to understand all kingdoms desire expansion. They want to expand in multiple directions. So in this area of my life, I began to see this by doing 60-hour weeks. I would bring work home with me. It was the primary means by which I got value. Many times I didn't spend time with my family. My spiritual life was a bit of a wreck. Are you seeing who's king? And all of this because I had adopted this idea from someone else as I began to think about it. There's all kinds of ways you see this lived out in your life. Um, One of the ways I see it common here on the Eastern Shore, I'll tell you one of the big ones, a fire company. Anybody part of a fire company? I grew up in a town where the fire company was king. Anybody ever live that out? And everything was surrounded around the fire company. What the fire company did, when the fire company did it, who was involved, how many hours you had to do to actually be a part of it. There was all these different things. And it became the king in most people's living, most people's thinking, and most people's lives. So this is why Jesus is praying, your kingdom come. Because he knows that our lives are full of lots of different little kings and a lot of of little different kingdoms. And that we get confused as that this is the way I should live my life versus this is the way I should live my life. Interesting note. When you think about the kingdom, Jesus uses the term all throughout the gospels. And he uses it in the past tense. He uses it in the present tense. And he uses it in the future tense. Why does he use all three tenses? Because he understood that when you begin to pray... For God's kingdom to come, and then you respond by faith. There have been people in the past, people in the present, and people in the future that are living according to God's kingdom and not their own. For me, this began to change. It began to change in the way that I thought. It began to change the way I prayed. So how does that happen in your life and in mine? Well, God creates a spiritual revolution. 
We all need it. We need to throw off the king, right? This should be familiar for anybody that actually, you know, looked at the Revolutionary War. We need to throw off the king sometimes when they're a tyrannical king. And I guarantee you, you got some tyrannical kings in your life. So what does this look like? How do you throw off the king in your life to get the right kingdom in place? Well, the first thing is you got to identify what has shaped you. Why do you think the way you think? Why do you do the things that you do? I have a um, few friends that are atheists. Atheists are fun people. Um, they hard thinkers. I'm going to tell you right now, deep thinkers and uh, some friends that I have that I hang out with every once in a while. And here's the interesting thing about their worldview or the way they think about this idea. They believe that they're the king of their own life. Now, why do they think that they're the king of their own life? Because if there is no God, then I can be king. It seems simple enough, doesn't it? It's logical. The only problem is, is when you say that, you don't understand that there's a king for everybody. Their king is a guy named Darwin who's buried over in Westminster. He's dead as a doornail, but he's still their king. Because he's the one that came up with the ideology, the philosophy that there is no God and there's an evolutionary process. When you adopt that idea, it shapes your thinking. That becomes your king. And then what happens is it shapes what life looks like. Look at what Jesus said in Mark 8. He said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? And that's what these little kingdoms do in your life. They cause you to forfeit your soul, the very, the very deep, spiritual, meaningful dynamic of your life. So when you adopt the world's way of thinking about work, that work is about you and about your success and about your advancement, about you moving forward, it literally robs and steals life from you. It's the king on the hill that needs to be knocked off. And it's not fun. You think you're getting ahead and you think you're being successful, but you find out you're waking up every morning, wore out, wondering if you can do another day because that's king. What about in the area of money? A lot of times we think about money and we think, okay, well, money is mine. It's mine to do with what I please, how I want to spend it, when I want to spend it. And we never even ask the question, how would God want me to spend it? Where would God want me to invest it? How would God want me to use it? And then money becomes king. And then we make decisions based on money. When I went into ministry, I learned there's two major reasons that most pastors fall. Do you know what they are? The first one is financial integrity. And the second one is sexual integrity. Most pastors that fall from grace, fall from ministry, fall for those two reasons. Why? Because they allow something else to become the king of their hill in that area. And that's just reality for all of us. I have a lot of people that come to me and they want to say, well, I'm having some difficulties in my marriage. It's very common. It's called marriage, by the way. <laughs> Anybody living that one out? It's normal. Anybody, nobody ever tells you you get married and everything's going to be perfect. It's not perfect. It's difficult. It requires a lot of work. And it requires different adjustments in different seasons. But how many of us actually then drive into the word of God and say, how's marriage looking God's word? How does the way that God talks about marriage change the way I think about marriage? How is it when I begin to think about this that it begins to reshape my thinking? And once you begin to look at these things and you understand that you have a worldview that came from the world and not from God, then you can actually identify where you need to dethrone a king. Another one's retirement. Did you know that people think I'm going to retire and then I'm just going to sit? If you retire and sit, you will die. I guarantee you. What you really need to do is retirement is just a great excuse to do something more fun, better with your life. Maybe invest in a different area that you haven't had the opportunity to. You don't retire in the kingdom of God. You just move into a different department, all right? That's the way it looks. But when we think about these things, they drive. How about someone that's always miserable? You ever met someone, they're always miserable? The way I like to say it, my dad said they would complain if they were hung with a new rope. You know, someone like that, they would complain no matter what. Why is their worldview that way? What shapes that worldview? 
Why do they think that? Because it's only in their misery that they get the attention they want. Interesting. When you begin to find these little kings that sit on these little hills, and then you say, okay, now I can come to God with a different prayer life. Now that I know that these things are king in my life, I need to dethrone them. How do you do that? The second thing is this. God's kingdom has to begin in your heart. God's kingdom begins in your heart. What's the heart anyway? We use that term a lot with kids, and you hear a lot in church. What's the heart? It's not that fleshy thing that beats in your chest. The heart, when the Bible talks about the heart, is the will seed of your life. How you make decisions, why you made that decision. And when you begin to think about those things, and you say, okay, God, I need you to be on that throne and not this other person on the throne, it changes everything that you think about. We were at the men's prayer breakfast, and we were admonished with said at the men's prayer breakfast, stays at the men's prayer breakfast. So I'm going to leave that there. But before we started the men's prayer breakfast, one of the guys looked at me and said, hey, did you know Muhammad Ali died? I'm like, nope. I'm, I'm, you know, if, if, if I don't get your world in 90 seconds on CBS during the week, I don't know what's happening in the world. That's the only news I get. So I walked in. I got my news that morning from some of the guys at prayer breakfast. And uh, it was interesting. Someone asked, well, what do you think about that? And it's interesting asking a simple question like that because in that one question, you get to learn what people's worldview is, and who their king is. And there were a few people that immediately when we asked that, you know, of course, the idea of being a great boxer and having a legacy and a person who has Parkinson's disease and worked through that, and those are, those are interesting and great things. But it wasn't long before some of the men said, but I wonder what he did with Jesus. I wonder where he was in this whole thing of faith of what God had done when God sacrificed his own son for him. It wasn't long before people got around to that question. Why would they ask that question? Because their mindset is developed by the kingdom of God and not just a worldly way of thinking. I'll show it to you in a different way. There was this guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a pretty cool guy. He was a religious ruler. He ruled over and in a group called the Sanhedrin way back in Jesus' day. He was really smart. He was very bright, and he had a lot of influence. Well, when you look at his life, you learn that he actually only appears three times in the entire New Testament. It's all in the Gospel of John. But one of the places he appears is when he comes to Jesus at nighttime. A lot of people call it, like to call this Nick at night. So Nick comes to Jesus at night, and he has a question for him. And he's centered around this very idea that we're talking about this morning. And he's asking the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How do I get in this kingdom? And Jesus' response is profound. He says, um, and he replied, and he declares this. He says, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Unless he's born again. How can a man be born when he's old? Now, this was a Jewish way of thinking. They would actually take something to the absurd to continue the conversation. So it's not unusual that he asked that question. So he takes it to the absurd. Then Jesus says, or Nicodemus asks, surely he can't enter a second time into his mother's womb or to be born anew or anew of flesh. And here's the reality. Jesus' response to him was, he said, I'm so surprised that you don't understand this, Nick. You know, you're, you're the teacher of all of Israel. and You don't get this. Only flesh gives birth to flesh. In other words, the world's kingdom gives ways to the world's thinking, and only spirit gives birth to spirit. You must be spiritually reborn. I was talking to someone down at the hospital recently who had grown up from a Roman Catholic background, and they're like, somebody came to me one day and said, I got to be born again. What the heck is that about anyway? And I said, well, it's interesting because it's not about being Catholic. It's not about being Baptist. It's not about being Methodist. It's not about being Mormon. It, it really, all that stuff, just wipe it out, throw it out. Nick comes right back to this and says, hey, what do I have to do? And Jesus says, it's about being born again. Have you ever been born again? 
Maybe a radical transformation and change where the kingdom of God takes up root in your heart in such a way that it transforms every way that you think. That's how the kingdom of God comes from heaven to earth. I was sitting around a table one day. Um, my wife's uh, pup-up, you guys have heard me talk about pup-up Charlie. He just passed away this year. Pup-up Charlie was a lunatic. I love this guy. He's the kind of guy that if you went to a gas station, he was pumping gas and someone was on the other island, he would leave it. Hopefully it stopped. And then he would go over to them and say, hey, do you know Jesus? Let me just explain to you who he is. He was just that radical with he wanted to share this love with every single person he met. Well, he was over one night. We were having coffee with some friends. We were hanging out. And the friends were sitting there, and we were just chit-chatting, and we played some games. And I knew it wasn't long before Pop-Up Charlie was like, you could tell, just watching his face. He was like putting the crosshairs, you know, on different people trying to figure out where they were spiritually. He finally zeroes in on this one guy that had come over. And he says, all right, enough of this chit-chat. Are you born again? Have you received the spiritual rebirth that Jesus talks about? And this, this is this person's response. I've always been a Christian. For as long as I can remember, I've always believed that Jesus died for my sins. Let me come back to this. What do you have to do? You have to be born again. You're not born a Christian. No one is. You don't inherit it from mom and dad. The reality of the kingdom of God is that it comes from heaven to earth in one moment. Why? Because it requires your surrender. It requires you to give up every dynamic of your own kingdom to receive his kingdom. So here's the reality. Let me give it to you in a very simple way. We do this in our class and foundations, but I want to give it to you in such a simple way that even a child can get it, even I can get it, all right? And we say it this way. Here's how you receive the kingdom. You admit, first of all, that you've got your own kingdom, that you've tried to run your life and you haven't done it very well, okay? I had to do that. There was a certain moment in my life I did that. Then you believe in what Jesus did for you. What did Jesus do for you? He lived a perfect life, the life you and I can't live, He fulfilled every requirement of the law that God gave, not missing one piece of it. And because he lived a perfect life, fulfilling all the requirements, the perfect requirements that only get you into a perfect heaven, when he did all that, he said, now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give that up for you. I'm going to go to a cross. I'm going to die on that cross. I'm going to shed my very blood. And when I shed my very blood for you, all you have to do is believe. I've heard people say that salvation is free. It's not free. It's very expensive. It costs God, his very own son. So it's not cheap, but it doesn't cost you anything. It costs God everything. And when you put your hope and your trust and your complete belief in what God has done for you through Christ, the kingdom of God moves from there to here, and it's birthed in your own heart. That happened for me when I was 17 years old. I'll never forget it. Nobody told me what to expect. It was pretty radical. And I remember praying God, I know I've tried to live my life my way. I don't remember exactly how I said it, but I remember saying this. And here's the reality. I know what Christ has now done for me. I don't understand it fully, but right now I just want you to save me and to set me aside. I trust everything that you've done and you're going to do in my life. And I just ask you to come into my life right now. And for the first time, God was real. He wasn't an idea. He wasn't a thought. He wasn't something I read in the Bible or on a piece of paper. He literally descended from the kingdom of heaven into my heart. I cried and laughed and wept all at the same time. Couldn't contain it. It's amazing. That's born again. And then I committed all of my life to him. Perfectly? I don't think so. But every day I get up and I try to do it again and I recommit my life to him. That's why it's as simple as ABC. You admit, you believe, you commit. 
That's it. If you've never done that, I don't care what your religious background is. I don't care if you need to do it for the thousandth time. That's how the kingdom of heaven comes from heaven to earth. And it's born in the hearts of God's people. It's not in a building. It's not in a theology. It's not in an ideology. It's in you. That's how God's kingdom comes to earth. So if you've never done that, I want to give you a chance to do that. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just for God to see him alone, take a moment. Let him search you. Open your soul to the Father of heaven, who's all-powerful. Understanding that Jesus purchased a way for you and I to be able to come into the throne room of God. That God is very near in this moment. He sees your heart. He sees where you are. He knows your pains. He knows your struggles. And he already knows the kings that are on your hill. And so the best you know how for no one else to hear but God, just say, dear God, I've put a lot of kings on a lot of different hills in my life. I admit that before you today. The best I know how, I put all of my hope and all of my trust and all my faith in your son, your one and only unique son, Jesus. I know that you've forgiven me, not based on anything I've done, but based solely on what Jesus has done. He lived a perfect life. He was crucified. He died the death I deserved. But three days later, he rose from the dead. He's with you now. Thank you so much for loving me that much. I commit all of my life to you. And I pray right now that you would fill this place and my heart with your spirit. And that I would never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says that each person that prays something like that, not that prayer specifically, but prays something like that in their heart or believes that in their heart, that they've moved from death to life. They've moved from earth to heaven. They now have a heavenly reward and a place to go. And that's because once you understand that, then you accept the third thing, which is you accept God's mission to expand his kingdom and not mine. But you can't do that until you've prayed that prayer or prayed something like that and received fully who he is. So someone asked me last week, they said, um, what's this deal? You know, we, you know, God's name is holy. We shouldn't beat God up with our prayers and ask him over and over and over and over again for the same thing, right? Because he already knows what we're going to pray. So what should you do then? Well, once you understand and you accept God's mission to expand his kingdom, you understand his kingdom already exists. Where? In you. And you understand if he's king, he's king anywhere where he's allowed to be king, right? So when you pray, here's how this prayer changes your life of his kingdom to come. Now when I ask God for something, as I should ask, he wants to know the things that are worrying me, paining me. After I ask him one time, I thank him every other time I come back to him. So I'll see how this works. God, you know my brother-in-law, you know where he is spiritually, you know what's going on in his life. I just pray that you'll bring people around him, that you'll engage him, and that you'll share this great gospel news, the good news of who Jesus is, and and he'll be saved. After I pray that one time, I don't ask it again. Why? Because he's king. Do you badger the king with a request? No. After you ask him, you thank him. 
So now every time I come back, because it's still something on my heart, I thank God. God thanks how you're going to do that. I don't know how you're sicking somebody on today, but sick the Holy Spirit and some freaky guy like Pop-Pop Green on him and find him wherever he is and thank you for how you're going to do it. And let me know about it just so I can laugh. And then the next time I come to him, God, thanks for how you're going to do that. I believe that you're faithful. I believe you're trustworthy. I believe that what you did in my life, you want to do in his life. And again, I'm thanking you for it because I don't know when it'll happen, but I know it's going to happen. Bill Bright prayed a prayer like that, a real famous Christian. And uh, he prayed one time for someone's salvation, and he waited 30 years to see it happen. But every prayer after that was a prayer of thanksgiving. When you get to a place like that and you can thank God for whatever's going on in your life and the lives of other people, the kingdom of God has descended from heaven to earth. Because wherever he's glorified and made king, things happen. And this happens within a very imperfect people with God still being king. I love this passage out of Matthew 20 because it shows us what our response should be once we believe. Not so with you, he said, talking to leaders. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to, but to serve. And to give his life as, ransom as, a, as um, life as a ransom for many. You want to know how to have a great marriage? Surrender your whole life to Jesus. You want to know how that works? Dig in the scriptures and talk to every single person you can find that's actually living out that marriage and say, how are you doing it? How are you getting this done? And thank God for how he's going to do it. Because you don't know exactly how he'll do it, but you know he's going to do it. That's how his kingdom comes. Start thanking him for every area you need to see him. How do you do that here at Grace? Here's a real simple way you can do that. It's very tangible. Pastor David asked you to sign up for Riverfest. If you haven't yet, sign up for Riverfest. You get to actually go out and share the love of Jesus with all the people in Seaford just by handing them a bottle of water. And by the way, I just got to tell you, the other thing we bought for that is koozies. You all know what a koozie is? Okay, we bought little koozies with Grace's uh, logo on it to wrap around their drink. So everywhere people walk around with a drink, Grace will be wrapped around it. Is that not the coolest thing you've ever heard? Come on. (laughs) So all you got to do is go out and hand people a bag, hang them a koozie, hand them a card, and we just want to share the love of Jesus with other people. That's how God's kingdom expands. So one last thought. The kingdom you serve determines the reward you're going to get, and it shapes your prayer life. The kingdom you serve determines the reward. It shapes your prayer journey. Because it will shape how you pray. Christ's love is the greatest demonstration of this. And I'm going to ask Pastor David at this time to come to lead us into a time of not only reflection, but also receiving the Lord's Supper so we can reset ourselves in a way that allows his kingdom to literally come into our presence.